to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and has made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, to him be the glory and power forever. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this Sunday morning is our second lesson, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26-31, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear friends in Christ, Some years back, a prominent scientist started getting some negative attention because he had been describing himself as a Nobel Prize winner. In fact, he had no trophy or medal or whatever it would have been. He'd merely been part of an organization that had been awarded the prize. There was no specific mention of him or his work by the Nobel Committee. And eventually, he had to stop promoting himself that way. It was really rather sad. Even with all that this scientist had achieved in life, and it was a lot, he still craved the recognition and respect that go along with being a Nobel Prize winner. And he was willing to stretch the truth past the breaking point in order to gain it. And if that can happen with someone who already has honor and influence in the world, then what about people who have little of either? The craving can still be there even when the opportunity to win in life isn't. There's a line from a Steely Dan song written from the perspective of a guy who always feels that he's destined to make it big and be famous, but never quite gets there. He says, they've got a name for the winners in the world. I want a name when I lose. But of course, there is a name for someone who isn't a winner. Loser. As a general rule, it's it's not a label one wants, and, and once awarded, one tries to shed it as soon as possible, or, or one tries to, to preempt it or, or cancel it out. Witness the tin pot potentates and, and, and dime store dictators of the world who have adopted titles designating them heroes and victors and world powers when in fact they have won only derision and disrespect outside their nations. Or consider the, the screen names and handles like Destroyer and Conqueror used by video game and Twitter warriors who are no more winners in real life than they are film stars or billionaires. But here's the thing. In the world's eyes, you and I aren't likely winners either. We are probably on the other end of that spectrum, not necessarily because where we are with our particular incomes or education or influence, but because we are Christians. Now, the people of the congregation in, in Corinth that Paul wrote to were, were mostly losers twice over. In the first place, they were looked down on because they followed Christ, and most of them, as Paul points out, didn't amount much in the second place, amount to much in society. Not many of you were wise from a human point of view. Not many were powerful, and not many were born with high status. They would have been considered and called foolish 
weak, lowly, and despised by just about everyone else of their time. And it is not too much of a stretch to say that the situation for Christ-following, Scripture-believing Christians in our society is getting to be similar. Gone are the days, some would say long gone are the days, when one had to at least claim to be a believer and a church member in good standing in order to be a mover and shaker in the world. Now, faith in the Jesus of the Bible and in historic Christianity is is more likely to be seen as a sign that one is not to be taken seriously. Lately, I've seen that for some online and on social media that the, the, the ultimate way to cancel a Christian whose views you don't want heard is to label him or her a young earth creationist, as though anyone who actually believes what God says about how he brought into the world, brought the world into existence can't possibly be worth listening to. But I am not telling you anything that you don't already know and haven't already experienced or at least observed. In the world's eyes, we are not likely considered winners. But from the perspective of God's law, there's no likely involved. We are definitely losers. Every last one of us. Can we say that we were born well, spiritually speaking? No. We were even conceived as sinful creatures. We were, were not innocent as infants, and we'll, we'll never have it in us to shed that stain. Can any of us successfully storm the gates of heaven and claim the right to enter? Absolutely not. God permits only the holy, the perfectly sinless, to enter His eternal rest and live with Him. Can some of us perhaps powerfully do great works of righteousness such that they cancel out our guilt before God? No. The works of sinners are themselves stained and tainted by sin, and thus they are imperfect and powerless. Are we at least powerful enough to stop sinning so that eventually our good works might more than balance out our guilt? No. As sinners, we cannot help but sin. And even if we could stop completely, the guilt would still remain. Well, then maybe maybe are some of us at least lovable or influential enough to convince God to overlook our sins and let us into heaven anyway? Again, no. The Lord is perfectly holy and can no more overlook sin than He can commit it Himself. It must be removed entirely, paid for, canceled out, and perfection presented in its place. And no man, woman, or child on earth is able to do that. So no, we are not and were never winners in the eyes of God's law. Instead, His commandments convict us of failing to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, of misusing His name and taking His grace for granted, 
of dishonoring His Word and neglecting His worship, of disrespecting His representatives and harming our neighbors, of theft and laziness and adultery and false witness and so much more. As much as anyone might try to win according to the law, it labels us all losers. Because on our own, we are lost. We have lost out on the bliss and joy of eternal life in paradise, and we have won only death and damnation for eternity and darkness here on earth. But you know, God doesn't care what the world thinks of us, and He does care what happens to us. What we deserve, hell, is not what He wants for us. He wants us with Him to love and be loved in perfect fellowship for eternity. So what can He do? He can't just ignore our sin because of His holiness and justice, but neither can He just leave us to suffer for it because of His love. And so He made a choice. The hardest choice that any father ever could make. He gave. He sent His one and only Son to take our place in subjection to His law and in suffering and death as punishment for breaking the law. Jesus was conceived, born, lived, crucified, and then raised again to life as our substitute. The perfect Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of the world and for the sake of every sinner. That is how much God loves us, loves each of us, loves each of you. And when Satan whispers in your ear, or skepticism rises from your sinful nature, saying, oh, okay, well, well, maybe, maybe it's true that Jesus did all that, but that's still, that's still only for the special people, the ones that God already liked. Well, then Paul here in 1 Corinthians slaps down those doubts by repeating an important point. It is no one's specialness that makes them God's people. Instead, it is all and only His doing, His saving, His loving, His acting. Hear the repetition. But God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not do away with the things that are. So far from being a disadvantage, our being looked down on by the world, and even more importantly, our willingness to look at ourselves and see our utter unworthiness and lostness, these all turn out to be our greatest blessing. God chose us precisely for this. Because the proud reject Him and His grace, but the Lord lifts up the humble. Why make such a big deal out of this? 
And why do we want to be careful not to follow our culture and and listen to our sinful nature in, in striving always for worldly status and glory? So that no one may boast before God. Such boasting of one's worth or status or power or whatever is the exact opposite of saving faith. And so God wants to destroy it and point every sinner instead to His Son in whom we have every spiritual blessing, complete forgiveness for our sins, perfect holiness, eternal life, and a favored place in His family. As Paul says, but because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us the wisdom from God, namely our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God did this so that, just as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if we end up at the end of this race that we call life, if we end up with God's wisdom, perfect righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that means that We win, doesn't it? In Christ, we are the greatest and winningest of winners. We even claim victory over death and the grave because He gives that to us. The way things work in this world, you only get an unironic winner's name when you are actually a winner. With Christ and the Gospel, it is completely switched around. The more we understand that we are not winners, the more we appreciate that the ultimate winner's name, Christ's, our Lord's, is ours to have and to use as our own. Which means that it doesn't matter one bit what the world might think of you or me. We're not concerned with the same things the unbelievers around us are. We don't value the same things. Our priorities and thinking and feeling and everything are different and better because God chose us, saved us, claimed us, and changed us. So let the world give its winners their names. That may be all they ever have. And if we end up losers in this life and get called stupid or weak or backward or whatever, just remember that God calls us His own dear children, calls us His people, His prized possession. He calls us blessed over and over. He calls us Christ's body and He is calling calling us home to heaven through the gospel. So yeah, yeah, we have a name when we lose the Lord's. Rejoice and be glad. Amen. Please rise. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.